Welcome, listeners and devoted subscribers, to the second part of our special coverage on cannabis and tribal governments. In the last episode, we heard from leaders of Puake Pueblo about their plans to open a dispensary. In this episode, we'll hear about another tribe's much rockier road to legalizing cannabis. We're not a gaming tribe. We don't have a lot of resources. The key points in this whole agreement is that it it recognizes our government-to-government relationship and also it recognizes our sovereignty, right? This is Growing Forward, the collaborative podcast about cannabis in New Mexico between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report. I'm Megan Kamrick, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM Public Radio. In the last episode, we heard about some specifics of an intergovernmental agreement that New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed with the Pueblos of Puaque and Picaris. But the stories of each Pueblo's cannabis journey are strikingly different. Picaris Pueblo Governor Craig Quanchello recently gave us a brief history lesson about Picaris and cannabis. For added context here, New Mexico legalized medical cannabis in 2007. Basically, we started about 2014, uh, 2015, when it was still a medical state. And that's kind of when we got involved in the cannabis. Uh, We went through our community here at the Pueblo and we we spoke about medical cannabis, the benefits. We did a presentation to the community and we basically got the community buy-in. And during that time is when um, we initially got into the cannabis and starting to get into that, we didn't have much guidance. So um, a couple things, we, we learned a lot from just doing that. We decriminalized our, our ordinances here at the Pueblo or decriminalized cannabis and created ordinances supporting uh, medical cannabis and having a, a cannabis program and everything that kind of went along with that from the grow to qualifying conditions to uh, medical cards to patient giver cards, the whole process and, and basically creating a regulatory as well as a board to to maintain the cannabis here at the Pueblo. So that kind of evolved uh, around 2014, 2015 is about when we got into um, cannabis. With so many states successfully legalizing recreational use cannabis, it's sometimes easy to forget how precarious things were when it came to federal enforcement of cannabis. This debate at the time often surrounded states' rights and how far that goes. But on tribal lands, that idea of local control can get pretty complicated. We thought at the time, you know, we had found some information federally that allows for a tribe to get into medical cannabis under meeting a few exceptions. And at the time, it was during the Obama administration to where um, it was a whole different feeling uh, on medical cannabis, which allowed for us to engage in it through two pieces of paper or two pieces, two memos. One was the Wilkinson memo, and then the other one was the Comorandum, which basically gave guidance to the Department of Justice, um, allowing for cannabis on the tribe or for, for Pueblos to engage in medical cannabis. Um, as long as you follow it within these guidelines. Pickeries does not have, uh, we're not a gaming tribe. We don't have a lot of resources and we don't have our own tribal police department. So we rely on the federal government 
to do that services for us. So we utilize BIA, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs, Law Enforcement, the federal police program to, to patrol the, uh, the Pueblo and enforce all our rules and regulations. So that's something that was kind of unique in out of the Pueblos. They only do maybe three Pueblos um, that here, here in New Mexico, that it's a full-time um, tribal police department. So with that said, and then being then federal police, during the Obama administration, with the Wilkinsons and the Colmer on them, it allowed us to engage in cannabis and to, to do everything that we needed to do. We basically were learning from scratch on how to do um, set up the whole program. And along those lines is what we discovered. We discovered a few key areas that kind of, um, that, that nobody um, had thought of, especially since New Mexico was a, a medical state. And at the time we went to the, under the Susana, Governor Susana, Governor Martinez, administration, we requested to get with the Department of Health, which was running the medical cannabis at the time. And we looked for guidance. We said, hey, you guys are doing a program. We want to start our own program. And at the time, they refused to meet with us because um, it was illegal federally. So that was a roadblock for us. And then we kind of looked into it and we, we started to create our own cards and, and everything and they wouldn't recognize them. And in order to transport off the reservation and, and uh, onto the reservation, we needed that support of the state. And then also at the time they were knowingly issuing medical cards, patient giver cards, everything to tribal members on um, our reservation. Um, when they weren't willing to even talk to us and saying that it was illegal. So during this whole uh, medical cannabis, um, we as tribes or we as pickeries, we have a government to government relationship and we were trying to establish that at, at that time. And being that they wouldn't meet with us because they deemed it as illegal, how yet you know, they were administering cards and we also have non-tribal -tri uh, members that are married to non-tribals that were at risk of um, uh, being arrested or whatever, you know, whatever, um, whatever they were doing at the time. And also we do have a checkerboard reservation to where we have tribal, um, non-tribal members that live within our reservation, um, little um, Spanish communities that live near us that once they leave their property, they're on federal, they're on federal land. So, at, so that's one of the areas that came up and we were trying to work with the state so that we can protect them and, and protect all of us so that we can kind of work together. But under that administration, they, they, they just didn't want to meet with us. But at the time, the federal side was, hey, you know what, you guys can do, you guys do what you want. We have the, the locuses and the code random as guideline, guidelines. So we went through the whole process. We created our own qualifying conditions and we did add two at the Pueblo, which were um, at the time was opiates. And that was not considered a qualifying condition for the state. We, we recognized opiate opiates as a qualifying condition. We also recognized um, alcoholism as an additional qualifying condition. And our last one was uh, the military. PTSD as um, 
a qualifying condition because the feds weren't recognizing that and you know we wanted to figure out and support our our veterans who at the time was that was kind of the i don't want to call it a big thing but it was being more recognized and we wanted to support that so knowing that we created those um, qualifying conditions we created our ordinance we we engaged and allowed for reciprocity so with the intention of us recognizing the state cards and them recognizing our cards. So that's another reason we wanted to meet with the Department of Health at that time. However, under the Governor Susanna's administration, it was a no-go. About a year after former President Donald Trump took office, officials from his Justice Department raided Picaris and destroyed about 36 cannabis plants, according to the Albuquerque Journal. Quanchello said after numerous meetings with the feds, it became clear there wasn't going to be an easy path towards Picaris setting up their own medical cannabis program. Making matters worse, Quanchello also said that some tribal members who lived on tribal land were unable to get medical cards through the New Mexico Department of Health because their respective addresses were listed as being on federally regulated land. But one glimmer of hope for Picaris was the possibility that if the state sanctioned the tribe's medical cannabis program, then maybe the federal government would leave them alone. Quanchello said an official from the U.S. Attorney's Office even asked if Picaris had the blessing from the state to set up its own medical cannabis program. All I could say was no, because under Susanna, and I think he already knew that they didn't have our support, right? And then Governor Grisham was just coming in and she was just barely starting, she was starting to recognize. So I couldn't say we did or we didn't. So that kind of led us to push to the state to what you guys hear about today, the intergovernmental agreement and just getting that again. I mean, that's um, not 100% protection, but that's kind of what led us in that route but years before Governor Lujan Grisham signed on to the intergovernmental agreement, Pickery's first tried appealing to the state legislature. The pitch was pretty simple. Pass a law that says tribes can set up their own medical cannabis programs. But given states' inability to govern on tribal land, Quanchello said the proposal confused lawmakers. And at the time, you know, the, even the legislature said, well, Governor, you know, why are you coming to us? Because you have sovereignty. You know, you guys can do whatever you want. I remember remember that uh, I think Senator Benny Shendo had a bill Correct. Uh, in 2017 that got the farthest, but it still didn't pass, right? So right. I remember that was sort of to, to allow you to set up your own medical program at the time. Correct. So yeah, we started in 15, 16, we got traction in 17, we made it to the floor, we were third on the bill to be heard that day. And for some reason, they chose, um, I think, animals in Africa or something like that. And we never got heard, right? It made it to the floor. But for some reason, we were third on the docket. And we never got heard. So um, with that said, we tried and we finally prevailed. And, uh, and we got the IGA uh, recently. Senator Benny Shendo tried, for times to be exact, to pass legislation that would allow New Mexico to enter into an agreement with Picaris in hopes of avoiding any more federal attention on the tribe's medical cannabis program. But then in late 2021, the U.S. Bureau of Indian Affairs raided the personal grow of a man who lived on Picaris land but was not a member himself. That man, Charlie Farden, was recognized by the state of New Mexico as a registered medical cannabis patient but because he was on federal land, the jurisdiction was BIA. Interestingly enough, though, 
neither Picaris Pueblo nor Charlie Farden have been prosecuted by the federal government. Fortunately, we weren't prosecuted. However, my point in saying that is that's the whole thing that we're having a problem with is that that's all they need to do, right? Just stop the action. That's it, right? So Charlie hasn't been prosecuted. Um, nothing, nothing has been done other than yanking the plants, but they already did the deed. But Governor Quanchello is quick to point out that there are various other tribal governments across the U.S. that are successfully running cannabis programs without much interference from the federal government. He readily admits he can't say for sure why Picaris has received so much attention from the feds, but he's got a theory or two. I guess my theory would be is that we're, we're not a big tribe, right? And we're not politically strong. We're not in the gaming business. So maybe we're being used as um, as an example, basically. Um, I don't know, but right now we're being discriminated against. Anybody that uses cannabis in our in, in our within our reservation, whether you tribal or not, you know, is at risk right now, and we're trying to change that because it's not fair right it's not it's not fair it's going to happen eventually but why us and why now um we're, we're trying to figure that out and we're trying to move forward we're like i said we're we're planning on opening a dispensary off the reservation and we will open one here um soon As we've heard time and time again, many people don't see a clear distinction between cannabis for therapeutic purposes versus recreational purposes. In our last episode, Powake tribal leadership, for example, said they won't require medical cannabis cards at the retail store, but they do see it as more of a therapeutic option instead of a party drug. Quanchello said something similar. It started out as a holistic approach, you know, it started out holistically, and then after growing, it, it's it's not cheap, right, to grow. There takes a lot of skill, a lot of equipment to, to get it right. And knowing that, I mean, holistically kind of changed our, our, not necessarily changed our end goal, but we realized that we couldn't provide a good quality medicine at, at, a, at what our goal was at an affordable rate because it costs money. So with that said, I mean, the, the, big, the best way that we can do it is if we grow it here and, you know, then we can provide a, maybe a lower, a lower rate, but then we know that it, it's so expensive and litigation and everything. So we're, we're trying to work our way and still stick to our goal. I mean, we used it to treat uh, alcoholism here at the Pueblo. It gives our alcohol our or our treatment to the our alcoholics, uh, it gives them an option instead of using opiates or using some other form. I mean, that's one area that that I think what my people will most benefit. And then the, uh, what uh, you guys all hear about, you know, the seizures and and um, you know cancer and all and all everything that comes from the plant. 
you know, that's one of our options. And then us being Pueblo and we're farmers by nature, and we're here at the Pueblo to where we don't have population. I mean, we don't have gaming, but we know how to grow. So that's one thing that that happened because of cannabis and, and hemp. I mean, it created a, a dollar value to an acre, right? And that's something that, that can benefit us here at the Pueblo for economic development and going forward. And I think the biggest difference that, that we have and we wanted to get into this, um, to this business is that our, the money generated from here is going to the community. It's going for resources, education, um, substance abuse, mental health. It's not going into one person's pocket, right? And it can do a lot of good Right, and it can, you know, it can definitely um, be self-sustaining. And um, if we make money, great. If we don't make money, we still need to figure out how to be self-sustaining because, again, our original goal was that holistic approach. We discussed how these agreements are not the same as more traditional gaming compacts between the state and tribal governments, namely because there is no profit-sharing agreement. Quancello praised the agreement because it recognizes independence from the state government. The key points in this whole agreement is that it, it recognizes our government-to-government -government relationship, and also it recognizes our sovereignty, right? So that's one of the biggest indicators of that. And then also it, it provides guidance for us and the state to work together and, and to develop a meaningful relationship going forward because we don't have all the answers for cannabis right now. Everybody is, is um, started at the same time. You know, is the market going to be saturated? Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, how do we go from point A to point B? So this piece of paper allows us to come to the table Rather, let's say we get a new governor and they don't support cannabis and they don't support tribes. Well, this is, you know, this allows us to force us to come to, to come to the table. There's been a lot of talk about creating an equitable and an equal playing field in the cannabis right. industry in New Mexico. How do agreements like this help that goal? Does it do enough? That's a good question. I, I don't think it does enough. Um, I think it always can be better. But again, I mean, if you have good moans and you have that mechanism to, to come together and, and think things out and go forward, this document allows us to do that. And, it, and it, it empowers us as well as it empowers the state. I mean, it gives us some guidelines to follow um, so that it's equitable to, to both sides. I think it allows for that. That's, that's one thing. Um, as for going forward, who knows? I, I think what my biggest fear right now is that the big the big players in, in cannabis uh, come into the state and start um, dominating the market um, just because they've been in it and just because they have money and, and then the money goes out of the state, right? A lot of the, the money goes out of the state. So that, that's my biggest fear. I would hope that a lot of people here in New Mexico engage in this business. And this is an opportunity to get in something that, that can benefit all. It, it was very successful. Does it mean that you're more protected now from federal raids or federal prosecutions or anything? Um, I don't know. You know, there's no guarantees. I, I like to think that, um, that it does give us a little bit uh, more protection, but at the end of the day, it depends. I mean, if you look at it, 
cannabis in every state on uh, federal land, federal recognized land is dependent on the U.S. attorney who resides in that state. If the U.S. attorney is okay with cannabis, then guess what? You're okay. But if you have a U.S. attorney that for some reason is against it or doesn't like it or wants to make a statement or wants to move up, hey, they can make your life hard on you. You mentioned Charlie and, and the BIA raid. Um, and of course, BIA is overseen by the Department of Interior, which is, uh, you know, headed by U.S. Secretary um, Deb Holland. Um, what sort of successes have you had in, in speaking with her office to, you know, say, I guess it's sort of maybe a moot point now because we've got this uh, agreement. But was there conversations had with her office like, hey, why are why are you coming down on us like this? Well, I mean, we've been trying to reach out to her and um, she hasn't responded to us yet. So um, again, us and the state um, have kind of uh, teamed up together now that we signed this IGA and saying, you know, um, trying to get a meeting with her to have that open dialogue if we can, if she can do something, you know, even as minimal as reenact the, the Wilkinson and the Comorandum and um, offer guidance to us so we can work together, but we haven't had a response from her office as of yet. So I don't wanna say that she's not uh, um, agreeing with us or, or she is agreeing with us, um, but it's been, a, it's been a, a few months that we haven't got a response yet. So, well, I mean, we'll keep trying. Um, I like to believe that, you know, she you know, she's from New Mexico. She is aware of our situation. Um, I just hope that, you know, we have her support and um, um, that we can meet and come to the table to discuss this. Um, I, I'm curious to know too, you know. So you guys are planning to open a dispensary on the Pueblo and then offsite the Pueblo. And I'm guessing the you feel the state compact will help facilitate that. But I'm also hearing that there's a lot of uncertainty. Correct. You know, if we have another change, bring a different U.S. attorney, different administration. So are you worried about making those investments yes. given that uncertainty? Yes. I mean, we're, we're very concerned about that. I mean, uh, going forward, we're being very cautious uh, um, and trying to, here on the reservation, I mean, we have to um, be very cautious going forward. I mean, however, I mean, we're still going to do it. Uh, we've come this far and we've worked uh, tremendously on, on trying to create this joint effort with the state and, and going forward and, and the holistic and everything that I talked about to, to stop right now here on the tribe. We need to get, get going on this. So I'm hopeful if uh, we open this soon, I mean, we, we hope to be open by July here on the res. Um, if you hear about us getting arrested, you know, um, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm sure you'll hear about it. Well, Governor, thank you so much for taking so much time to, to talk to us. It's really, really been useful. And uh, thank you so much. And hopefully when things get a little healthier and safer, we can come visit you all up there and, and see what's going on later this summer. Absolutely. I mean, you guys are welcome here. And uh, anything that we're doing, we'll keep in touch or you guys can keep in touch with us. And I hope that we can be uh, the next time we meet, you know, I'll be at our dispensary and we'll walk you guys through and, and then just show you, you know, everything that all our work has, has paid off. And 
and the benefits and you know the, like i said the, the point is this this funds and this dollar that's going to be generated is is going to go to sustain a lot of our programs here at the public with that said i'll go ahead and end um you know just say a few words my language and, and thanking you guys for being here and uh, um, i'll end it like that and uh, again my name is uh, craig quintello uh, governor here at Pickery's pueblo um, thank you thank you guys uh, basically i just said that you know all our prayers and and our, our shrines and the, the living things that that help guide us i'll be with you guys and be with everybody who listens to this and, and just give them that guidance and and faith to to keep going and, and trying hard wherever you go wherever you travel may our our protection and peace and uh, uh blessings be with each and every one of you thank you we go, as you know, these last two episodes, we've really focused on tribal communities and how they're trying to get into the cannabis industry and how complex that is given federal law. We just wanted to take note that the U.S. Supreme Court recently handed down a very significant ruling on federal Indian law. Andy, do we have any idea yet what that may mean uh, about all the things we've been talking about in terms of tribal jurisdiction, federal jurisdiction, and cannabis? I think it's hard to say at this point. The the U.S. Supreme Court case in question um, wasn't didn't actually uh, overturn the previous opinion, but they sort of narrowly said in these cases where uh, a non-Native American commits a crime or is accused of committing a crime against a Native American, that the states can come in and and sort of prosecute in that case. I don't know how that translates to issues like this. Uh, but it's definitely something that I think a lot of people are going to be watching as, as I'll be keeping an eye on it and maybe uh, digging into it a little bit more in the future. Yeah, it seems like a lot of Indian law experts are very concerned. Yes, I think, I, I think that, about what this means. I think there's a really narrow view on this that, like I said, mentions the, um, the crimes against uh, a, a particular person. Um, but there's also the, the wider view of this uh, ruling that, that argues that this is chipping away at the sovereignty of um, tribal governments around the, the country. Thank you to Catherine Connolly for designing our logo and as always a big thanks to our producer Kevin McDonald. You can find us on Instagram at growingforward underscore canna and m and if you haven't already don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when the latest episodes are up which will be very important for our next and last episode of this season. We've got a really cool and different episode plan that you won't want to miss. Mm-hmm.